Fine Dining, the search for the most mediocre restaurant in America, is a podcast where comedian Michael Ornelas is traveling the country, eating at all chain restaurants in search of the perfectly average 5.0 out of 10 dining experience. The objective middle threshold of where bad becomes good. Friend of the Doughboys, Marissa Pinson and John Glover were the most recent guests as they reviewed Costco's Food Court. It's a two-part episode that covers everything from discontinued menu items to how many Costco hot dogs they could fit in their mouths. Damn, I wish I was on that episode. I'd crush that. Head over to linktree.com slash fine dining podcast, uh, F-I-N-E-D-I-N-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and click B's giveaway to enter a giveaway for an all-expenses-paid trip to your local Applebee's, the current frontrunner for the most mediocre restaurant in America at 5.02 out of 10, for you and up to three of your friends. And you can watch or listen to Fine Dining on your platform of choice while you're there. Enter by May 1st, and the winner will be announced on the May 8th episode. Disclaimer, $50 will be provided for transportation along with a $200 Applebee gift card. I love doing those fast read disclaimer things. Go give fine dining a listen. The search for the most mediocre restaurant in America. This is a HeadGum Podcast. What's up, shitheads? Welcome back to another episode of High and Mighty. It's me, your boy, the number one fuckboy, standing six foot two, 285 pounds. That's right, 285 pounds. He just weighed himself this morning from the south shore of Nassau County, Long Island. It's the number one fuckboy, Johnny G. All you gotta do is trust me, Jackson Maine. Also joining me in the High Mighty Studios, my nearly silent co-host, Arthur Gavers. Arthur... Give him a shout out. He's absent. Also joining me in the high my studio is a fellow headgum podcaster. I know him from way back in the day he used to be, but now he's a big time podcaster and writer. It's Michael Cruz Oh shit. It happened where I hit the chair lower button in the middle of the heightened part of my speech and just <laughs> <laughs> physically represented my lack of energy. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, I wish to God the people at home or wherever they're listening to this could see the video of you recording that intro <laughs> as you shrink. But also before you go, you kind of take a breath and you get yourself in the mind space to do that. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to, you say to me, I'm going to do this now. And then you put yourself in a, in a mental area where you can deliver that intro. I harness the podcast host portion of my uh, operating <laughs> system at that point. It's like, you are no longer a human being. You are now a podcast host. It's like, <laughs> start screaming, <laughs> fill the hour of content, make sure your advertisers are excited. <laughs> yeah, his eyes, for people who can't see, which is all of you, his eyes roll back in his head repeatedly. Yeah, it just had small little Mac Weldon and Magic Spoon uh, logos on my eyes as I uh, dreamed of the 50s upon hundreds of dollars pouring in. <laughs> the 50s. <laughs> I'm afraid to even say hundreds because I like to be honest. <laughs> Uh, yeah, baby. Well, dude, the last time we talked was for a newcomer's episode at ver- right. bright and early on a Sunday morning <laughs> because both you and Nicole had to hit up the Emmys. 
And then we sure did. It was a really exciting day for me to be screaming about Fast and the Furious with you two. And then <laughs> later on on Instagram, looking at you in a tuxedo holding an Emmy. <laughs> well, let me say two things about that. One, just to clarify, to clarify, is it clarify? Am I saying it right? For the people at home, I didn't win an Emmy. I only held, I held. Hey, some, I, my, I didn't say you won an I Emmy. On, I said I saw you holding I know, one. but people, people will reach out and they'll go, oh my God. I heard you on on the, on the podcast that Gabrus opens by being a psychopath, whatever, and I know <laughs> I managed that you to stay on after that opening, and I heard your story. <laughs> I survived <laughs> the opening. I did not win one. I the show won one, and I held that one that the show won. Nicole, I don't also don't think won, but Nicole's outfit was. You got to go to Instagram and check she out. She won outfit. outfit wise. Yeah, she won the red yes. carpet. She won the Fashion psychological wise, game won. that happens on the red carpet. You look fantastic too. Just him. less of a peacock. Thank you for I saying say. that. Yes, I well, yeah. I was also uh, there are a couple of pictures I took with Nicole, and in those pictures, I would love I would love to go back and retroactively crop myself out of the photos <laughs> and put them up in your house. <laughs> it's yeah, technically yeah. a photo of me and my friend Nicole, but this one's just her. I had to edit myself. I was bringing her. the whole thing down. <laughs> um, yeah, but the Emmy, the Emmys were fun. Uh, I uh, I think they were like um, weird, like they weren't like they normally are. I've never been to the Emmys before, <laughs> but I think usually it's like stadium style seating and the right. Like if, if I had been at the regular Emmys. I would have sat like way ass in the back and I've had no opportunity to mingle with anyone or talk to anybody the whole time. But this time it was like little tables of eight people, like uh, like sort of like upper mid-level New York City bar mitzvah style. Yeah. Where like you're at a table with a bunch of people, half of whom you know, and you're all like sharing stories about the other people at other tables. And that was really fun. Conan was at my table. A bunch of his writers. It was. Uh, oh, it was that's great awesome. That's so fucking cool. It was pretty cool. Well, welcome back to the fucking slums of Hollywood here on High and Mighty. <laughs> uh, we don't win awards. We burn them down and make belt buckles, baby. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Normally when we're on, uh, normally, but every time I'm nailing down a guest, we go back and forth about what the topic would be. And w you threw out the w one of the, which we were talking about today, musicals, because it's been on my mind lately. I watched Dear Evan Hansen alone in the theater two weeks ago, <laughs> and I started to really unpack my own feelings towards musicals after that. And that wasn't even because of COVID restrictions, am I right? That's just, you were the only person who had bought no, a ticket. Oh, I went with no one, I could bring no one with, and no one wanted to go with me. There was eight <laughs> other people in there, but uh, four gay men and four uh, teens who knew all the songs. So it was yeah, definitely- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, the other thing you threw out, and I just want to take a brief moment aside, you just said the movie Taken. Now, <laughs> do you have a particular- <laughs> love of the movie taken or were you just like I, it would be fun to talk about <laughs> I'm just i curious. love the, i love the movie taken so much it might be my favorite movie the ending of it the ending of it i feel like you, you've seen the movie yes of course yeah once they get on the boat at the end for some reason it's less uh it's less interesting to me like all that fight sequence but the whole rest of the movie i absolutely love oh that's when he shoots when he shoots spoiler of a movie that's like 20 years old now when he shoots the dude's wife do you know what i'm talking yeah, about yeah yeah that's so like, oh, fucking it's best, awesome. It's, it's yeah. the best movie I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's so fun. Right at that moment, it went from movie that I liked to the best movie that I've ever seen. And I, <laughs> I don't want to be known as someone who's like, once the once a woman who has done nothing wrong gets shot, I like it. It just makes the movie, like, it's that Liam Neeson is a little bit of a bad dude. Like, right. that's what yeah. makes me, it like, makes it he does something bad. In order like, to rescue okay, his daughter. This is cool. Yeah, he's ready that's to exactly. do something. I, I usually like the part of the movie or the play or the whatever where the guy you're rooting for does something that you're like, oh, wait, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, this all of a sudden is not, well, honestly, and 
with not I'm constantly like half shitting on Marvel stuff on this pod, but like uh, there's no gray area for heroes in like Marvel stuff. You know what I mean? So like, and that's sort yeah. of like the abundance of content these days. So it's like, I'm the hero and I never, so like anytime a hero is lightly anti-hero or shoots a random woman, you're like, okay, okay. I couldn't see Captain America doing this shit. Got felt- that's exactly right. <laughs> Steve Rogers wouldn't do that. Yeah, baby. So jumping back, dude, Hearing that Taken is one of your favorite movies, I almost was like, let's talk Taken. But then I was like, am I going to rewatch Taken on a weekend where I have to rewatch like five movies for other jobs? It's like, (laughs) no, let's talk musicals because this is also something that's hitting, sitting heavily. I love also that you can make a career out of rewatching movies. That can be like (laughs) like this. You're on podcast as you're the rewatcher of. Yeah. of things. You, yeah, we're, that's you. We're bandying the word career about in an interesting way, but otherwise <laughs> it is something you can do that takes up time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, sorry. I don't want to take away you are you're in the theater, you're watching Dear Evan Hansen. Had you were you aware of Dear Evan Hansen I before I knew that? nothing about it except that it was sort of like uh, you know, about mental health or uh, you know, uh, trigger warning suicide stuff like that. So I was like uh uh, and but I was just seeing it because I might have to see all the new releases for this job I have for the Spotify Green Room Monday nights the movie buff eight p.m. Pacific eleven Eastern on the Spotify Green Spotify Room. Spotify Green Room. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> is that the jingle? <laughs> it is now, baby. Thank you. Uh, Spotify Emma, Green Room. Emma, copy that and print it, please. Uh, send it over. <laughs> uh, but so I was sitting there watching it, and I was like, I don't think I like this, and I'm like, I don't think I like musicals and and then i was like no i like musicals i don't think this is musical enough for me to well, like it you, yeah. wow i feel like dear evan hansen i haven't seen the movie okay. i haven't even seen the show but i've listened to the original cast recording don't say soundtrack because the soundtrack that's a movie the cast recording that's a broadway show ah, so okay. i have Welcome listened to the to party the, <laughs> yeah let's get crazy <laughs> i listened to the uh cast recording and that guy's voice is unbelievable ben platt's yeah. voice is ridiculous and like very he's got a very um dynamic like an airy but powerful vibrato you know what I mean, uh, in the voice i know a, a vibrato though is what something i'm learning is uh polarizing uh, or at least ben platt's vibrato sure. is polarizing oh uh, i love it i i think it's beautiful it's all but vibrato uh pul- pul- pulverizing <laughs> pulverizing vibrato it can be <laughs> it's my i uh, think it chorus porn i wrote <laughs> it <laughs> Uh, yeah, I love that. The, the, I think it is, I think some people who prefer sort of a modern musical theater sound, they like the singers to sound like pop singers Mm -hmm. who have no vibrato, but I classically, like all the old school singers are all like very vibrato, like they're borderline opera singers. Yeah. They're people who probably couldn't sing opera. So they're like, you know, one level down from that as singers. But if you listen, opera music is all vibrato. There's nobody not, not singing with vibrato out there. Hell yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, uh, but Ben Platt. In the in the pictures that I've seen of the movie, he does look a little. He looks a little. It's hard. Wild. It's the it's choice, a little the, hard. It's a little uncanny. The choices valley. are wild. Yeah. It's. A, I I always I hate the idea of taking. I don't like watching something and being like I don't think this is good. But it's hard to look at the pictures of him and not be like there a mistake was made here. And somebody should have been like we screwed this yeah, up. It took me a full act of the movie to get over it. Like, truly, it wasn't until like 40 minutes into the movie where I was just like, the, he would come on screen and it wouldn't be jarring. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> it, it, it just felt weird. Like, all the. I'm used to watching 
seventies and eighties movies too, where every high school kid is played by thirty-one year olds and shit. Right, like where that. Jason Priestley is like seventy-five <laughs> yeah. and he's in high school. I'm completely aware of that, but this felt weird because he was like acting so young, and yeah. he had. I don't know what they did, like some sort of prosthesis or shininess to his face that kind of made him seem younger or a little chubbier or something or a little more cherubic. They did something or <laughs> I, I don't think he could do it because of the musical part of it. But it seems like they like stuffed gauze in his cheeks to give him little chipmunk cheeks. But that would do be- you think they did like um, the little, you know, the little ping pong balls all over his face and just very slightly CGI'd him the entire way through? I, I mean, I have no idea what they did. I can't imagine. I would love it if they did that. Uh, he's just singing like it, it but to me the thing i like about musicals is like the uh the size of them the scale the scope yes. and like i feel like it didn't have it in like there was no big number you know what i mean not that there needs well, I think to- when you yeah, sorry. When you watch when you watch that just the screenshots i've seen of the movie it feels like like there's always a suspension of disbelief in musicals, right? right. You're always like, oh, and I guess that guy's singing now. <laughs> but to be to, on top of that, to have like, there's no one going to address that either this guy is much older than everybody else or he has some kind of like glandular problem. Like something, <laughs> this has to be addressed. We can't just let it go. Yeah, and it, it feels like... Uh, he can, we The song, the singing is a little talk singing too, which I, which I guess is cool because it, it does work better for because he sings to some people's spoken responses and stuff at some portions and it's kind of sure 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 and that's kind of something (laughs) i haven't really seen before but i don't i didn't dislike that but i think i and this is i'm not well versed in musicals but i think i like when it's like all right it's fucking song time you know (laughs) what i mean yeah and then i think (laughs) i think one of my favorite things about musicals is the three like lines before a song starts? It's yeah, like, that little bit, of, that little bit of music that comes yeah, in. Yeah, the like, segue. Oh, she's from gonna like, do it. All right. Well, I guess I could tell you how I got to the store, <laughs> and it's like, uh, good luck, Ronnie. And then it's just like you know <laughs> that it's the store song coming in hot. Like here comes the store song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, w- um, um, Dear Evan Hansen has a song that I really like to sing. Which is waving through a window. I feel like that's the oh, big yeah. song. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely cannot sing the end of it. It is way too high. And a thing that I do with my kids is we get to that part of the song and I'll just scream bloody murder <laughs> at the end of it. And that's like a little family fun time that we have. Oh yeah. My dad used to scream uh, bloody murder at me and my brothers. <laughs> we didn't call it family fun time, but I think it has a little different energy coming from Michael Cruz Kane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with me and the kids singing musicals is maybe a different story yeah. than Papa Gabrus <laughs> singing musicals to his bottle of Merlot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's really fucking fun. Uh, are your kids in the musicals? They are, but it's it's a like a tough line to toe because I think the more that I am legitimately into something, like I can't push too hard to let them know that I'm like, upset. Yeah. Then they'll be like, wait, 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 what the fuck is the deal with this? So I have to be like, oh, you know what you should check out is um, the London cast recording of Miss Saigon. Like, you know, whatever you have the time, no big deal. Yeah, the American's good too, but the London is, you know, it's like, it's like that kind of a vibe. Check your iTunes account. Someone may have gifted you. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right. It may, I may have already um, manipulated the algorithm on your YouTube account so that it comes up immediately. Uh, uh, when did you, I know you're a, 
I, I look, this is my extent of understanding. Uh, pe- I'm like, I know you do musical theater because I first saw you early in Baby Wants Candy, the improvised musical that's right. in New York. Yeah. Big, big for big for the fans. I'm sure tons of Baby Wants Candy fans. That's like a lot of huge crossover with your audience. I, well, I would but, imagine uh, there's got to be some people who are still around because they know me from UCB and are like, oh, oh yeah, Baby Wants sure. Candy. That's actually fun to watch or whatever. Because that was the first. <laughs> that was the first time I saw like good musical improv was seeing baby wants candy at Del Close marathon, like in 2004, 2005, when I first started uh, being at the theater a lot. And I was like, this is, and then of course I just, after joining UCB met a bunch of theater kids too, who are like musicals were important and like musicals never really mattered to me. Like as a matter of fact, maybe I had some toxic masculinity viewpoints towards musicals uh, previous to that, <laughs> but I would like, like them. I'd be like, yeah, I saw uh, Greece on Broadway and I loved it. But like all there my, mus- all my musicals were that I saw on Broadway as a long, this is the most long Island shit ever is that all the Broadway's my family, uh, all the Broadway shows my family took me to were movie. Like I saw Greece twice, beauty and the beast, little mermaid. Like it it's all just like it's a movie we could sell you on the fact that it was a movie and it's like okay i'll go check it out <laughs> <laughs> yeah greece is the most toxically masculine of all it's probably the most toxically masculine <laughs> of all of all the movies right. at the end like the woman's like turn to become a hero is that she like pops out all in leather she was like she you know, just starts little, dressing like the male like a shrinking violet <laughs> in the beginning of the show and at the end of it she's like yeah, give it to me, daddy. It's like that kind of vibe. But the fully end of copying uh, Zuko, like losing her own sense of self in the in identifying exactly right. fully as a T bird, and then she becomes off toxically to masculine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> soaring off in a in a uh, in a car into outer space as one. Let me also after say that school. once upon a time, I was on a, a different musical improv team, which is how sexy I am. That I was on two different. Three, actually, musical improv teams, but that's for another podcast. <laughs> but the second one of those was called, I think, Diamond Line. And you did a show with us oh, like, where you yes. did musical improv. Yeah. You couldn't I, sing a single note, and you were still <laughs> like in, maybe the best guest we ever had. Did, was that in you New York or out funny. here? It was at Chelsea. Yeah, because I remember doing that and being the first time I was nervous on stage in like eight yeah. years. I was like, <laughs> I have no idea how to sing or whatever, but I like love the energy of it. So I could yeah. like, I could as long play as you go the- for it. Yeah. Well, that's, that is, and doing off book, uh, Zach and Jess's podcast. They're love like, improv- yeah. I, once you learn, like I am, I can like take the fucking leash off doing improv and like, I can't sing at all, but if I go off leash, it's like, it's at least the energy enough to carry like a musical improv scene. I'm just like, once I'm off, like I, once I'm just completely my full id improviser, it's like, okay, well it works in this instance because I have no time to be ashamed of how weird my fucking voice is or whatever. Do you still improvise at all in this in this time? Have you been doing anything? I haven't done like I haven't done like a pure like we did like a special episode of Action Boys, which was like a fake uh a fake, very special episode, like where it's like, oh, we're going through old and was jumping us to scenes and stuff. And that was like the most that and and an episode of Improv for Humans was the most scenic improv I've done. Everything else has been really like chat show improv you know what i mean like you you are i mean this podcast isn't about this but you're so good at improv you're like a you're like a you're like a ghost you know ghosty gabrus you're like that kind of improviser oh well thank you i appreciate that 
And I, I, I'm comfortable enough to say I am very good at improv, but it is like being very good at juggling is something I'm learning. And <laughs> that I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm like one of the best at this skill set. It's like, great, that skill set lets you do that more. Uh, anything else you want? Oh, you have no ambition and no ability to sit down and write something. Uh, no focus, no ability to memorize lines. You can't act because you lived off your personality. It's like, oh, shit, I am very good at this, but what can I do with it? <laughs> and the answer is, podcast <laughs> podcast baby hey that's something yeah that's that's something it's kind of i mean it's not altogether dissimilar from being good at musical theater that's right. like where that's the only, all you can do with that is that there's not like some there's not some other skill set right you can be like oh well I, would you like me to burst out in song in this operating room no like it's not <laughs> it's confined to the one thing yeah and even like musical theater doesn't transition to like booking acting work just like improv doesn't either where it's just yes, like exactly like Oh, a very good stage actor, you might be able to go like, well, they can act in a movie or they can act in a TV show. But a very good, like, you know, Alex Brightman, people aren't like, what can we do with this? Like, this guy needs a sitcom. It's like, he's very good at what he does, but it is still a very specific martial art. I, like, You're saying that that guy's going to be in a sitcom like this Oh, week, he's going to be. Just because you said it. No, he's going to be huge in no time. Have he's you seen, go- oh, have you seen, isn't he in, um, did you ever watch the show Smilf that got canceled? No, I have not. I think he's in the pilot episode or one of the first episodes of Smilf. Everybody watching this podcast, you got to go watch Smilf. It's so fucking good. Oh, so it got canceled, I think, because I think she like me too. The the woman who created, I think, like me. Am I? There was some. Am I allowed to? There's, There's some controversy, some some behind the scenes controversy involving like possibly sexually har- sexually harassing from one uh, creative something to another like on the show, something like that. Yeah, I don't know the the full details of it, but I just remember being like, "Oh gosh, this show has been canceled." I'm sure something way worse. Something it deserve. I'm sure. I'm sure. Whatever the right thing to say is, pretend that I said it. Edit, <laughs> Got it. Edit, yeah. Jump across that. I'm sure the bad thing, whatever, but the show, maybe not even, just take this whole part out. Forget that I said it. Check out Smilf. Don't don't necessarily adopt the behavior of the uh, behind the scenes talent. Or don't check it out. Whatever you think is the right thing to do, do that. But Alex Brightman, long story short, TLDR, Alex Brightman's in the pilot of that. Uh, I think it's the pilot. He's very talented. I'm saying his name uh, just because he's one of the few, like, uh, musical theater actors I know because I think the last Broadway show I saw and maybe the first one in a while was uh, Beetlejuice. Uh, when Anthony I, King's Beetlejuice? Anthony King's Beetlejuice, uh, former guest of the podcast, Anthony King. Once I was going to uh, see a, uh, like I was going to be home in New York and I was like, we should try to see Anthony's show. And then I went and saw it and it was, I fucking, I don't love the whole uh, movie to musical to musical movie pipeline yeah, that a lot yeah, of these, sure, uh, sure, sure. a lot of them do. But I did enjoy the Beetlejuice musical. I found it to be very. Uh, there's something that musicals do, and I don't intend this to be f- offensive, but I'm coming at it from a comedy. St- I can't uh, wait. I can't wait. Comedy mind, and I, I also am fall for this. So it's when I'm watching a musical, my bar for what I consider a joke or a well-written joke or a funny joke is unbeknownst to me dropping to the point where I'm fucking like slapping my fucking thigh over something that if I was coaching an improv team and someone said that, I'd be like, bro, change that. Get that out of the act. Yeah. Quit comedy. There's like an energy once you're in the theater that, and I feel like, and, and, and maybe it's specific to Broadway. It's like, 
I'm in here between me, my wife, and these two giant drinks we bought. I'm in for two hundred and fifty fucking dollars. I'm gonna just enjoy myself. I'm gonna start yeah. fucking laughing. You're and, drinking an aquarium full of Chardonnay that you yeah, paid eighty five dollars for. <laughs> the Casamigos and soda I drank that was thirty two ounces and twenty eight dollars. Yeah, I, I nearly pissed myself in the Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no. I would say. Let me say this first of all, just because it, it must be said. Most musicals are abhorrent. I mean, just like really so incredibly bad. And the threshold for what is funny in a musical is so much lower than it is in almost any other art form besides maybe um, uh, Maid of Honor speeches. That's the only other place right. where a not wedding funny joke spe- wedding speeches, huge laughter. Wedding speeches get, yes, get the same grading on a curve that musicals do for some reason. Because yeah. a, music, a musical theater joke will be like someone in a, in a different musical being like, what are we going to say? A Hakuna Matata? And everybody else is like, well, that's from a different show. That's great. <laughs> Uproarious. It's like, like a applause break for, for a reference to another musical is that's considered a full gym. <laughs> so musical theater humor is typically that's why Beetlejuice is so good because it's written by comedy people. So there are like actual jokes in it and like character driven humor yeah. as opposed to just weird one liners that are all references. Um, uh, yeah, there, uh, there's a lot of fun digging at the like meta of the crowd and the kind of people that are at a Beetlejuice show, which I thought was yes. really enjoyable too. Something Fantastic. I hadn't something I hadn't seen before, you know, because even the most like cool musical always still plays like by Broadway's rule, like because it is like the the art the genre is the goal, the art form is the like Broadway is the genre, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's like, play, you got to do it Broadway style because if you want to be on Broadway, got to do it Broadway style. <laughs> and that's the thing too. A lot, uh, another interesting t- maybe road that that leads us to is the idea that all these musicals, that's any musical that is cool, it's actually like cool, cool. Like when it's going to sound impossible now, but like when Rent started, that was like an indie, cool, like nobody knows about this thing. Kind of like Hamilton too. Hamilton, they both started the same place. This place called the Public Theater in New York. Yes, I think they did, and which is like the place where all this cool stuff is is born. And once it becomes a hit, like you know your uh, your musical has become a hit when like it's a punchline. Like Ham- liking Hamilton now is like a little bit corny, even though it's like, amazing. But uh, like a hundred percent of people like it, so it's it's so popular that a whole personality can be derived just by being someone who doesn't like Hamilton, which is like, but you do, you like it. It's good. It's good. The amount of time that Seasons of Love was a punchline is about to be surpassed by the I'm going to give it my shot. Uh, it, 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 like, it's only a matter of time and, until the the next most popular musical takes over and uh, does that. That's funny. Yeah, and said, that's, yeah. musicals are, it's, it's hard for musicals to maintain any kind of edginess because like it's a, such a saccharine medium. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. like, like everything is. The only person who can kind like some some Sondheim stuff. Are you familiar at all with Assassins the musical? Uh, yes, yes, but Assassins I've never seen it. Assassins is like really it. good, and it's I got a little edge to it. This is uh, that's one that appeals to me. I mean, I I I'm down to go see anything that people say is a big spectacle or is good. Like I love that shit. But Assassins is something that I heard the previously mentioned Anthony King talking about it on his old podcast, Will Hines. And I was like, it triggered me so hard. I was like, I have to see this. It sounds. Oh my God. Assassins is so, so good. It's incredible. The premise of the show doesn't really spoil anything is it's about, it's sort of like a, um, 
like a, a montage isn't exactly right, but just a collection of all these people who tried to murder presidents. And it's like musicalizing them and giving you their, like their, their point of view. And I think originally it was supposed to debut like, like right around when the Gulf War broke out or something like that. <laughs> and so the the pot like the pub public was like what the fuck you can't do a musical that glorifies the people who are trying to kill the president at the same time that we're at war in in Iraq. Or maybe it was 9/11, whatever. It was like some major like a uh, patriotic thing was happening in America and a couple of times they had to postpone assassins because it is like it's pretty edgy and you leave it feeling some sympathy for people who are notorious villains in the history of the United States. <laughs> like, you leave it being like, ah, oh, John Wilkes Booth kind of has a point. It's like that kind of vibe when you leave. Well, I mean, I know acting can fuck you up, man. Like, it, it fucks your ego up big time. <laughs> that's, that's and so exactly I, can, I, I can understand where John Wilkes Booth is coming from. He's like, fuck it. I Honestly, my best chance <laughs> of fucking getting SAG health insurance next year is to fucking blow away <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. The only way to book this national network is to shoot the president in the fucking head. I think you could get me there. <laughs> that's exactly right. you could see You could see John Wilkes Booth on the phone with his agent, and the agent's being like, John, it just there's no buzz around you. No one's no talking buzz. about this Ford theater. Nobody knows there's about nobody it. Nobody talking about you. So what you got to come up with something, John? A one man show, or I don't know, kill the president. And he's yeah, like, "What you say?" You. <laughs> you have a connection there. I'm getting Mary Todd a free ticket down to the Ford, and we'll make it happen. <laughs> This holiday season, I'm giving thanks to our friends at Manscaped. Do I tell my extended family that I have the Performance Package 4.0 from the global leaders in the Below the Waist Grooming? Not to mention it includes their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer to tame my bush and score brownie points with the in-laws. Gift yourself Manscaped or the man in your life who needs it. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with 20% off free shipping. Uh, with the code MIGHTY, just go to manscaped.com. I am a big fan of it. Their buzzer works amazing. The lawnmower, if you will. Um, I've been trimming my pubes with that all throughout the quarantine and hearing no complaints. Uh, frequently, I used to nick my balls when I would use like a head, uh, like, you know, a clip zero buzzer. But now with Manscaped, my balls have slightly less blood. Just kidding. No blood on them at the end of every shave. So you think your holiday spread is good? It's time to give thanks to the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, or as I like to call it, the perfect package for your package, a.k.a. the perfect package package. Inside, you'll find their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all the goodies. Think of it as a cornucopia for your balls. Their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. It also gives you the ability to turn a 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for more precise shave. Plus, it's waterproof. Uh, battery lasts for a long time, too. I don't even know if that's listed here. The Performance Package 4.0 is included in the Weed Whacker to chop your worst weeds up your nose and in your ear. This nose and ear trimmer uses a 9,000 RPM motor uh, powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system to provide proprietary skin-safe. There it is again, the trademark technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Can't forget the Manscaped's liquid formulations. They're like pumpkin pie and ice cream after Thanksgiving dinner. Can't live without it. The Crop Preserver Baldio 
deodorant and crop reviver toner spray, your balls will be living in turkey heaven with these formulations. For the gifters out there, uh, Manscaped to seal the deal with two free gifts from their performance package, the Manscaped Boxers and Shed Travel Bag. Gifting Manscaped is the ultimate hack to becoming a family favorite. Manscaped has been busy just and just launched their refined body wash and two-in-one shampoo plus condition. Both featured the Manscaped signature scent will help unlock your confidence this year. Your boys and your body will be oh so fresh and oh so clean when you start off your self-care routine with the ultimate body wash, shampoo, and conditioner. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code MIGHTY at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code uh, MIGHTY, M-I-G-H-T-Y, at manscaped.com, M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Back to school uh, is hectic, even for a childless adult like myself. Uh, you know, you want to, summer's over, you want to get back to the grind and you want to start eating healthy. We all know fall can be hectic, but with HelloFresh's recipes, they save time you'd otherwise spend on meal prepping, grocery shopping and shopping. Or something they don't mention is you'll save so much time talking about what you're going to eat that night. I don't know about you, but if you're in a relationship or in a family or your roommate situation, I'm sure what are we going to do for dinner is an entirely too frequent conversation. Luckily, I mean, HelloFresh does a lot. It gives you all the recipes you need and all the ingredients you need to make a, a healthy, easy meal. But I got to say, for me, the highlight is they just pick the food for you. And I trust them. Fall is for family time. They got great fall recipes like meatloaf a la mom and the one pot broccoli mac and cheese. Okay, so real quick, I want to my two favorite meals uh, that I mentioned are meatloaf a la mom and broccoli mac and cheese. Of course, that sounds awesome. That's fall eating. So with options like quick and easy meals, low prep, one pan, and 10 to 15 minute meals, you can cut down so much time you spend on cooking and cleaning and give it back to yourself. Uh, you know, take care of yourself. Okay, look, you know me, I've talked about this stuff I like, and I gotta mention Gouda burgers. I think HelloFresh's burgers are great, and Gouda is something I've now brought from their recipe, and anytime I make myself a burger, I hope to have Gouda on hand to hit it up. So go to HelloFresh.com slash high14 and use code high14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. Go to HelloFresh.com, H-E-L-L-O-F-R-E-S-H.com slash H-I-G-H-1-4 and use code high14 for up to 14 free meals. America's number one meal kit. So Sondheim, you said Sondheim, like I hear people use him as like, it's like a subgenre of musical in a way. Like Son his- Sondheim is, it's a, it's another level of thing. Like really yeah. nobody's doing what Sondheim is doing. Assassins, um, Sweeney Todd, he wrote a lot. He's written a, a prolific author. But Sweeney Todd and Assassins are both like pretty edgy. They remain edgy a little bit. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, they're musical still, but Sweeney Todd, there's a, about a barber who, to get, seek revenge for someone who wrongly had him imprisoned, he um, goes and murders everyone. He like gives people haircuts, and while he's cutting their hair, he if, if they're villains, and sometimes even if they're not, he slits their throats. And then, and then they, turns them into burgers? And then his landlord turns them into pies, and they serve them to the people of London. Oh, and yeah, the thing yeah, that makes yeah. Sondheim also a little bit edgy is he's like one of the very few composers who, when you leave his show, you almost can't, like the, the average person almost cannot sing any of the songs that he's written. 
he like he makes them like sophisticated and complicated. So there's always a little something in there that's like a little beyond you, which is not like most musicals. Almost every most musicals, musical musicals are aiming to be earworms in a way too. Because yeah, they're trying like, to be like they were back in the day, like pop songs, right? Like, the, like Cole Porter and George Gershwin, those were like the songs in the musicals, but they were also the songs like in the clubs. Right. Sondheim but, is like, fuck all that. He's like a chef who's like, you know, I uh, I make I make pudding and I also put escargot in it. And guess what? It's fucking good. <laughs> yeah. And, and not like, everyone, can, don't try this shit at your house. Yes, you could never yeah. make this at home, I promise you. Whereas a lot of the musical theater that's popular now is like kind of country music musical theater in that anybody can write it. No, it's no slight to country music, which I love. Like that's part of the charm of country music is like, you could see yourself writing this song. Right. A lot of musical theater is also like that. But Sondheim is like, you could, you could, nobody can do what I do. You just, you can't, you could never accomplish this. Oh, that's so fucking cool. He, he, that, he balls. He's the best. That's awesome. I like someone who does what, even whatever their thing might be, whether it's my, for me or not. I just love to hear someone who does it differently and hard. Like that's fucking yeah, awesome. He goes, yeah. he goes all the way. There's really like almost no Sondheim songs that people are like, oh, this, this one's catchy. Never, but you will be like, you will hear a song and be, oh, I'm suddenly weirdly devastated by this song. Interesting. Uh, he, he, he's, he's the man. There's a song in uh, in the musical Assassins. Uh, um, it's like a love song. And it's like the, probably the most melodic poppy song he ever wrote. If I Can I sing on this podcast? Well, or will you have to get the rights to stuff? Dude, I don't yeah, have yeah, to, I don't, <laughs> you can do whatever the fuck you want. I've only had two episodes of my own podcast. I don't anything works. But the song is like... I am nothing, you are wind and devil and God, Charlie. And it's this woman singing this beautiful love song. And in, in if you just hear it, it sounds beautiful and like uh, pretty catchy. But in the show, she is an acolyte of Charlie Manson. And the guy who sings the duet with her is John Hinckley. And they're not singing the song to each other. They're singing it to, uh, she's singing to Charles Manson and he's singing to Jodie Foster. And they're both saying, like, I'm going to kill someone for you to show you how much I love you. It's just like, that's awesome. It's it's crazy. Uh, Check it out. Assassins is good. That's fucking rad. Yeah, I believe it. I believe that. Um, What what was your way into musicals? Like, uh, was did you have something that kicked it kicked off your love for it as a kid or like was doing your first one like? Uh, important or something. It was a thing that my, my mom forced me to do a bunch of stuff like play piano, take ballet and do take like theater classes when I was very little. And I sucked at piano. I took it for like 13 years and I can play like, uh, I can play a, a normal person who doesn't know anything about music would think that I'm okay at the piano. And then I took ballet. I mean, I, that did nothing to me. But when I did theater, I was just good at it, like off the bat. And also the competition is very low when you're a boy doing theater as a kid. Because like 90% of the other boys who have any talent in anything are doing that other thing. Uh, You know what I mean? The the most high school, the the most version of that, the most like 90s high school version of that is uh, football season is when the non-musical play was and... Uh, the musical play was in the season I didn't play a sport. And yeah. so I never wanted to do musicals, but I was always interested in acting. So I'd be like, but I couldn't. I was like, but football, you know, like, and in hindsight, it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm glad I never tried acting, something I would do five years later. You know what I mean? Like, I just was like, so like, I, well, I can't give up football. I'm the third string left guard. <laughs> 
I'm the fucking punt, the long snapper on punting. I'm integral. Were you not? Were you not good at football? Not particularly. No. Uh, I guess I like actually, I think of you and like and because in the improv community, I think of you as the as a hyper masculine. I, like, I think of you as a, as like a, as like a thundercat. You know what I mean? That's my fucking di- <laughs> lifelong dichotomy is that I, for a period of time was the funniest person on a men's league rugby team and the strongest person on a Herald team. But neither <laughs> of those things helped the others. You know what I mean? Like I happen to just walk in two worlds where it's like, he's one of the smartest guys who takes the outdoor martial arts class here in Los Angeles. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> Oh yeah. But he's like the worst at it physically. He's like, yeah, but the dude's really smart and funny. And then it's like, uh, he's actually not that good or funny of an actor, but he deadlifts more than anyone else in the waiting room. Like that's my, <laughs> that's my entire life. So I, a lot of people like you who I met via UCB are like, this dude is the guy who plays sports and we're 28. So he's gotta be a stud. But I, I also wasn't really athletic and I was always like, I was a fat little kid, but I developed in between. I grew three inches of height and lost 25 pounds in between my senior year of high school and my first freshman year of college. And I went away to college like six, one, six, two, 195 pounds, like muscular. And I was just like, I was a completely different human being. So I had like the high school nerd mentality of like, be funny. That's the only way people are going to like you and not bother you. Uh, uh, but also I had uh, the, I was so terrible at sports, but I tried really hard. So I had like some skills. And then I went away to college, found a sport nobody had played before called rugby. And I was like, oh, let I'll just start here. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm really good at this. People are like, you're really good at this. And I'm like, I'm so new to this sport and technically this body that I'm having a f- the time <laughs> of my fucking life. It was just a weird thing that happened. At the- so then I got, that's when I got that sort of like, <laughs> you said hyper masculine in the comedy world. I think that's where my like, alpha mach- machismo bullshit yeah, yeah, sure. stems from. Yeah, con- because- the confidence comes from there. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, exactly. Like the confidence. It? Yeah, I grew it there. And then that ca- carried me over. I also like from year, my confidence in the arts stems from learning harshly how a meritocracy works via sports. Like even like I know nothing's a true meritocracy because all that. But like sure, if sure. someone's faster than you or better than you at catching they usually get to play and you don't like, you know what I mean? Like if you both do the same thing and this person is better at it than you are, they're going to get to do it before you do it. Like you might. Right. And that's just life. And it's like, once you learn that in theater or in like acting, once you take that to creative world, like that's a very powerful way to feel of like, well, that person is funnier than me. Like that person, like that person wrote a better script than I did. Like, and it's like, you're able, but then of course, just like everything, even in sports and this, it's like all of a sudden all the metrics are fucking smashed together and confused. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. But the, the, just to go back to your question, oh, how right, I got right. into it, it's very similar to what you're talking about. It's like, I was, I mean, I think maybe my situation might've been more dire than yours. I'm not sure, but I had no friends at all. And like my, my real life in like school, I had no friends. I wore sweatpants all the time. I got picked on like crazy, deservedly so, I'm sure. I had like bubonic uh, eczema. I mean, I had like, just like rashes all over me. <laughs> so I was a p- complete and total pariah. And then doing theater, because sort of like your rugby situation, all the other people were just like doing other stuff. So I was, there wasn't anybody else to be better than me at theater. So I got there. I was immediately the star of the things. I had like a passable singing voice. I remember that um, 
the first musical I did was in New Haven and it was like the farmer and his daughters. And it was written by the woman who ran the theater camp that I was in. And it was me and I was opposite. Do you know the actress Lauren Ambrose? Yes. <laughs> she was, she was the, she was the person uh, opposite me. Like we grew up in the same area. From, and the, uh, and like, she's from uh, Six Feet Under, right? Six Feet Under. Yeah, incredible. Good, she's amazing. Good in, in other stuff. Yeah. Incredible yeah. on Six Feet Under. Like, yeah. Incredible. Worth a rewatch, by the way. If if you're rewatching TV shows, I I highly recommend the rewatch of Six Feet Under. Uh, holds I think up. It holds up hard. We rewatched it a couple of years ago, and maybe the strongest finale in television history. A lot of people. A lot of people say that. A lot of people say that. I think it might be the one of the best TV finales of all time. Truly, it gave uh, my wife Tiffany. It gave her uh, uh, like an existential crisis. Like the, <laughs> truly, she like laid down in bed, started crying, and was fucked up for like seventy two hours after we finished it. Like truly, wanna, what a recommendation of a show. <laughs> Do you want to watch a show that will put you into a paralytic emotional coma for three days? She was truly saying things Rewatch like, well, why do under. we bother doing anything? If that? And I was just like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Not what <laughs> I liked it is like my energy. <laughs> She's like, why do we bother m- making any decisions in life? I was like, oh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> so uh, you, yeah, that's a great review. Up- you're doing farmer the the farmer and his daughters with Lauren Ambrose. Yeah, we're trying, here's some Haven. of the songs. Just to give you some of the hits. One was gold, gold. I found a piece of gold. What shall I do with this piece of gold? That was like <laughs> that was the jam. You know, from one of these. How old are you at this point? Because in my head, I'm picturing 20, which is funny. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was like, I'm picturing I you and Ambrose being the same age she is in uh, Six Feet Under. So it's like you're a little too old to be singing gold, gold. <laughs> I think I, I want to say that I was like 10 or 11 yeah, years old, maybe sense, something like yeah. that. <laughs> um, and, and so, so now this is something I can relate to. Uh, did you feel? the juice of the audience as a kid like when you were that old when you did oh, farmer yeah. and his daughter did you feel the juice of like they're clapping at me they're they're laughing absolutely. at me absolutely absolutely and it was the first time i'd ever felt that but i was i mean from my family i got all kinds of positive reinforcement i had like very right. loving like the 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 but the biggest hardship of me and my family is my parents like love me too much you know what yeah. i mean that's oh that is Apparent. Don't worry. <laughs> no, you seem well adjusted, like a good dad and a solid head on his shoulders. Can't imagine you had, you had, didn't have supportive parents. No, um, so, uh, what were they talking about? My parents because, uh, love just, me. Why did I say that? Just to because t- just to rub it in my face. No, uh, just <laughs> to catch you up. I was saying because I was getting a little bit of juice of performing off oh, yeah, of making. Yeah, yeah off of making my teachers and my classmates laugh. Cause I was sort of, while an outcast, I was the funny kid in every class. Like I was cocky and confident and talked back to teachers and, you know, yeah. busted balls. So I, I got a little, and then junior year uh, or senior year, I did like the talent show with my three, uh, you know, straight bro friends. And we did like Michael Jackson through the years, like lip syncing and dancing, but I was smooth criminal <laughs> and I'm screaming like, Annie, are you okay? And I'm thinking like we were having fun, like rehearsing it. And like, then had our friend who'd like choreographed dance, like tighten it up. And we were like, this is actually like really fun. And we're actually pretty. And we kept getting like more and more into it. And then when we went out <laughs> right before we went on stage, it was like, this is crazy that we're doing this. And it's like, dude, it's been so fun. We go out there. I'm screaming, Annie, are you okay for my portion? And the entire 
crowd is standing up. My, like the 400 people in our auditorium are screaming, Annie, are you okay? And then I do like a fake lean and the crowd screams and I had full body chills and I walked off that stage. I was like, I need to figure out how to be a performer. For how the can rest I do this of my- more? Yeah. And it was like, that just unlocked for me. I was like, that's what I've been looking for in life. That's my heroin. Found my favorite drug. Give it to me now. And like my whole life was off on a different. This is my senior year of high school. My whole life is in a different direction at this point. I'm like, no, fuck. I want to work in it. I want to be an actor. I want to dance. I want to do whatever. I want people to like me. And it was just like. It all. So I'm wondering if if I would have been 10 and doing that, would I have felt that? And so you're saying. I think you would have for sure. Like I think there there's a there's a danger always in any child getting their validation that way because I mean the big danger is you're going to become a performer. Like when my my daughter is very into performing and she gets like a lot of positive feedback from like making little videos with me or whatever and I'm always like yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's great math homework math homework math homework <laughs> yeah. math homework and like, I, I'm so proud of you this. and I know this is exactly what I did but do anything else trust me <laughs> if you want to be happy in your 20s and 30s do something else honey 20s 30s also 40s 50s I'm gonna say <laughs> 60s and beyond I think once you get like I'm 39 and I'm starting to just be like well I think I had a once you start to talk to your 39-year-old friends who didn't do entertainment and you're like, yeah, it sucked. It was so stressful. They might have houses and vacation houses and <laughs> might live in the suburbs with their three kids, but they're not any happier than the fucking miserable, unself-actualized yes. version of I, myself. So I that always agree. feels That's true. good. But I, I have kids and I and I have a house and I think I'm, I've got to be like average level of misery. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm very lucky and very happy, but I'm still, there's still, you know, I'm still, I'm still destroyed life psychologically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're not fucking special. We're all, <laughs> yeah. I don't have like a sense of purpose. If that's what no, you mean. No. I don't, I don't feel like I'm on a certain path of good or anything. No, yeah, I don't feel like I, I serve any greater purpose in the world or that I do anything, but I'm, you know, I I'm feel okay. like I'm swimming as hard as I can. And then looking up from the water every once in a while and still not seeing the shore. But, yeah, well, other I'm exactly that. where I was when I started swimming. Maybe but I'm I, further back. Yeah, I don't know. Well, better put my head down and take 14 power strokes and see where I can get. All right. <laughs> out of breath, exhausted, and nowhere to be found. Okay. And strangely, very far underwater. Yeah. Am I swimming down? This seems bad. <laughs> well, my clothes are getting very heavy. I'm trying hard, but I'm heading in the wrong direction. <laughs> wow, that's the analogy Ooh. is still going strong, by the way. Wow, unfortunately. <laughs> funny because it's too true um yeah so the, i i got all that that validation there and then i joined a shortly on the heels of that i joined a um boys choir at my at a church and oh, okay. i was also kind of i kind of balled out in the boys choir i was like the king of that shit are, um, are you are you were you, were you raised religious was that like a cool thing to be the qu- no it was just kind of another thing that my mom kind of like made me do you know what yeah. i mean she was like you can sing you should try and do this i did it and i kind of like like that was singing and um acting were two areas where i felt confident and and not around my school friends like i didn't want my school friends to know I was, about that. i was yeah. i was scared of it but then yeah it was uh, like that it's like a little bit alter ego feeling right like you're like 
You're yes. like My- Michael Caine in The Office and Michael Cruz Caine on stage or whatever. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. right. It's like if Bruce Wayne's alter ego was a lamer Bruce Wayne. <laughs> yeah, it was like, uh, you can call me Bruce W. <laughs> and he's just like, <laughs> he has like a fucking Batman puppet that he does comedy with. It's like, oh, <laughs> Master Wayne. That's exactly right. <laughs> if Bruce Wayne had done one comedy show when he was seven years old, that Batman shit would have never happened. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> He'd His be doing open died. mics. And he's like, I am going to become the Joker instead of fighting the Joker. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did. I did all that, and then, uh, like, when I went back to theater camp one summer, they started doing like improv at the camp, like short form stuff, like freeze tag. You know what I mean? Like yeah, those yeah. kind of things. And I crushed at that, you know, like I, I won it. That's how I think of it, brother. I'm going to win this. Well, I mean, that's I, I did four years of short form where I was, you know, a big. <laughs> oh, fish did you? In a, a big like fish. comedy sports? Style? No, I did it at college. In college, I like we had a comedy troupe that did improv and sketch and we did short form games. And I like, of course, was good at that. That's even easier than long form improv. And I'm very good <laughs> at that. And I was so good. And I just like it was like playing, you know, like. A big fish in a goldfish tank for like four years <laughs> that I showed up at UCB like completely like no I'm not, this is not how you do this shit like I was I, I was actually in the perfect headspace because I, I was able to be broken down but also never actually lose because I was like I know I'm funny I've crushed in front of crowds of like five and six hundred people at school like yeah I know I'm good at comedy whether it's and and eventually I would just learn I was good at bad comedy and then I would eventually get good at slightly better comedy. <laughs> yeah. I had that same feeling coming to comedy. Like, I mean, as a kid, I was like, I felt like dominant and they started to cast me in roles in like, we, you know, they were writing their own shows at this theater camp, but they would cast me in roles where I would talk to the audience and interact with them and improvise with the audience. And I just felt like a God, you know what I mean? Yeah, it felt like, the, just felt unbelievable. That's, that's the like, best shit in the world. I just made this thing up and it's yeah. killing in here. Like no one wrote this. I wrote it now. Felt, felt amazing. All me, pop. Hey. <laughs> Forget the rest of the show. But I coming to UCB was very was a very much a rude awakening in terms of like people who I really respected and admired from Jump being like, yeah, you are funny in a way. There's a way that you are funny. Right. You could be funny in a better way. <laughs> you could be anyway. funny in our way, and then you have to learn how to be funny in their way, and then you have to learn to be funny in your way with their, their way, way. As yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like now you're like okay, and now it's closed down completely. So yeah, I'm, it doesn't yeah, exist. Yeah, no, uh, now <laughs> I feel like I did it my way. <laughs> Ooh, there's some musical theater in. In there there's some hell talent yeah. in there hell yeah dog beautiful uh, now movie movie musicals where do you okay. fall where do you fall on these like uh, okay. do you enjoy them or, or are you like fuck i would rather just be in the theater for this because i would uh, i would always rather be in the theater but yes. i love every movie musical bar none every single one i haven't seen dear evan hansen i know i will love it I know uh, that, that I will. Well, I have because a feeling it'll be on streaming in minutes. So, <laughs> yeah, it's on. It's, it went straight to Betamax. Yeah, the, it's on. Uh, it's on Tubi already with ads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can get it on Crackle. The, uh, I like every movie musical. Everyone. Some are really good. West Side Story, I think, is a good movie musical. Hell yeah! Are um, you are you are you excited or trepidatious about the Spielberg one coming? I'm always nervous about a way. I'm always nervous, but I'm nervous it's going to be culturally insensitive. And I give like, 
and maybe I maybe I'm not empowered to do this, but I give old shit like the old West Side Story. I'm like, yeah, but that happened then, and like then yeah, that's I'm, what. I'm able to contextualize that as a white man born in the eighties. I am able to, that means nothing, but I'm able to go like, this doesn't stress me. Although I will say watching a lot of eighties and nineties movies in the abundance of the F word and homophobia that, Oh God, I I'm having a harder time forgiving that. And I was like, I think maybe because I was raised and steeped in that and then learning how bad that was. I was like, well, I think it's also like, what are they, what are they trying to do here? And when you're doing that kind of stuff, you're not like, you weren't doing this in an effort to end homophobia. Right, you know right, I mean? right. Exactly. Exactly. At least with West Side Story, they're like trying to tell a tale right. of overcoming They're trying to show you the plight of Puerto Rican immigrants. I mean, they're yeah. it's flawed in many ways, but that's what <laughs> right. they're, they're trying to be like, these are like these, they are, you, these two groups can relate to each other. They have a lot in common. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but the um, West Side Story is really uh, actually a good movie. I think uh, Fiddler on the Roof is a good movie. Jesus Christ Superstar is a mess, but it's amazing. That's a fun uh, one. Uh, what are other movies? Uh, ha- uh, Hamilton, they just recorded it, so that doesn't really count as a movie. I did. I will say that's the first uh, one of those, uh, like a stage recording, a stage filming. Yeah. I thought that they, I don't know if I loved it, but I, I had not seen something like that. And I didn't even really like Hamilton. Uh, I think I would love Hamilton if I saw it raw without, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda in it. Like, if I just, I think he like got in, like, it too ubiquitous for me, and that he started yeah, to like yeah, kind sure, of, sure. A, he started to kind, of, I kind of brought too much baggage to him. Yeah, you I can't saw, separate his success from yeah, this. Like, who's supposed to be like, this upstart? You're like, well, this guy is. Had I seen the Hamilton guy. before? Like, I didn't see Hamilton until it went on Disney Plus. So that's goes to show you how long it took. So I think seeing it then with like the backlash to the backlash to the backlash of yes. everything. I was like, eh, this isn't that great. But I did love the filming of it. I was like, this is Beautiful. an interesting way to do it. I, I, I dug and, that. And Broadway shows, I think, have very, for a long time resisted doing that because they're like, we don't want people to not come see our show live because they can pay way less and see it streaming. And I think, I hope, that Hamilton will change that because... I don't it think has to. If your I, show is good, people will it'll make them want to come see it more. I, th- I yeah, and I, I, I'm, a, I'm saying the same shit as you, right? Exactly. I think the pandemic should have taught them that lesson too, because if they have absolutely a shit ton of musicals just sitting on like where you can like rent, uh, you know, you could rent Cats for three dollars or own it for nine or whatever, and like they could still be making money for the actors and producers and uh, talent and all the creatives for those if they if they filmed them and i think i think social media is going to teach them a lesson i don't think people like are watching a bunch of uh, Beetlejuice TikToks and then deciding not to see the musical because they that's got ex- it I think all that's exactly i right. think i think it's cuz musical is you're either going in my and this is my anecdotal uh, opinion as a new yorker who's semi informed on theater I think Broadway musicals are going to have people that are going to be able to afford to go to them always. And they're going to just be the people who go to every Broadway musical. There's just like this circle of people in the tri-state area where like, I heard it's popular. Get in the car. You know what I mean? Like I'm doing my mom's voice, but I'm sure a lot of people's moms <laughs> make that similar sound. In 100% the of us have the same mom. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but I do think there's also the musicals that get popular and then people say, well, fuck, if I'm going to New York, I got to see Spam a lot. I'm a Monty yep. Python. Oh, shit. If I'm going to be there, I got to take my dad to see the fourth, uh, the Jersey Boys. He loves Frank. You know, like these things. And I think if you're able to watch a stream of it, even if they do like, you know, Phantom in uh, movie events or one night only, you can stream it live at your house or whatever. Like, I think that gets a kid who just sees the musical, for, sees Beetlejuice like that, and it's like, fuck, uh, I can't wait to go to New York and see Beetlejuice. We got to see it on stage yeah. next. Yeah. And also, uh, watching football on, on TV does not limit that's ticket exact, sales. That's exactly right. People still, it makes you want to go see it live more. Yes. I think. I, I the, agree. The other thing about musicals is that there's such a, there's a huge revenue stream there of like, you know, people. You don't make a lot, Broadway, theater actors make dick shit for money. Unless you're like Bernadette Peters or like there's a very, Nathan Lane, people who become like big stars. A lot of people, even who like play leads in Broadway shows don't make a ton of money. But if you had that, if you had them on streamers, you that's a whole separate negotiation, whatever. You can make good money doing that. There's another great show that I just thought of this filmed like that called Falsettos. And Gabrus, I think you would like it. You should try Falsettos? and find- the streaming of the musical Falsettos, you got your Christian Borle, you got your Andrew Rannells, Stephanie Block. It's a, it's great. It's really, really good. Uh, it's like a complicated issue. It's very, uh, William Finn who wrote um, a bunch of other stuff. But it, it, that's it's really good. It's not a movie musical exactly, but it's a it's a filmed version of a stage musical. And it's really oh, great. Oh, cool. I'll, I'll check that uh, out for sure. That's, ah, see- I do have the most self-serving podcast in the world. I'm from. I know that it is for me. I, I'm glad some people listen. I'm glad some people are down to come on and talk to me. But this is exactly why I have a podcast like this: is so that I could talk to you for an hour and change and leave with. We plug your podcast, and I now have a musical recommended to me by a Paul friend. Falsettos is yeah. so good. I, I'm so, so good. I'm so stoked on that. Now. I'll, this was something that came up in the Dear Evan Hansen chat I was having on the Spotify Green Room uh, show, the movie buff. I are there like a movie like? Are you familiar with the film Sing Street? I have not seen Sing Street, but I know that it exists. Yeah. Okay. So I'm curious, like, where a movie like that is that a musical? Is that like it? There, it well, it is a musical, right? But it's like its own. It was never a stage show. Is that right? Never, I honestly it, don't know. It, I, I'm pretty sure it was never a stage show, and it is a musical. Uh, but it's sort of like. Um, the, the songs don't necessarily move the story. Like they are narratively diegetic to it's like, we're a band and we made this song. Like, so it, it, it is a, but musical. a song doesn't move the plot forward. Not necessarily. No, not, not in its content. No. I mean, There's there no, used like, to be info. a lot of musicals. I'm not sure what the, I don't know anything about that show, so I can't speak to it too much, but there used to be a lot of musicals that were called like trunk musicals back in the day where it's like Cole Porter was like, I wrote these 20 songs can we just sort of like retroactively craft a show that would make sense for the characters to sing these at some point? So that kind of stuff happened, like especially back in the day, like Cole Porter, Gershwin, a lot of those composers would just have 10 amazing songs and be like, can we just make this a musical somehow? And, and their like, name would be like sure. worth it. Yeah. And their name would be worth it for people to be like the new Cole Porter musical. Like, That's like exactly, that would be, you yeah. could, exactly. Because you couldn't like, you know, uh, get, there's no like MP3 of Cole Porter. If you wanted to hear 10 great Cole Porter songs, probably the most economical way to do it would, would be to just go to a Broadway show. That's interesting. And is, and is that 
do trunk musicals are they the precursor to the jukebox musical of just like yeah i think it's right. a very similar thing yeah. we got the beach boy because i that was one of the musicals i saw because my wife was working at new line cinema at the time and they were like made so we, we saw beach good vibrations the beach boys musical and it was like ham, ham fisted oh well i don't think anyone did it was like a nine week run or whatever but uh ham fisted <laughs> song setups in a way yes. that made that like made me laugh as like a budding like a comedy writer i was just like they'd be like well i think that's something we like to call the surfing safari. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, well, you want, like, should we go on a surf? What do we call it? A, a surf journey? There's I a don't lot, know. Yeah, there's a lot of shit like, well, I don't know. All I drive is this little deuce coupe. He drives a Formula 409. It's like, wait, those are two songs. It's like, oh, we're going to get to both of them, aren't we? We got a medley coming, baby. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wait. You know, I wanted to say one of the things that you talked about before, but that I forgot about until right now, which is that, do we already, do we get into this in depth? That the... Most people can't afford to see Broadway shows. Right. There's also oh. like that element of it. And we were it's talking about the like streaming. It's so objectively limiting. It's so like It, do, it totally democratizes the watching of a musical. And right. one of the things that makes musicals no longer relevant culturally is that nobody sees them. Nobody, right. like back in the day, you know, like uh, George Gershwin writes a musical. Those songs are the songs on the radio. Everyone's like, oh, yeah. this, 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 Cole, this Cole Porter song is the hit jam. When and a song musical, comes out in a broad- And like also at the time too, a musical runs for five years. On, yes. off, on Broadway and so like anyone who visits the tri-state area in those five years might be able to make a jump off to go see uh, one of these big musicals or whatever that's exactly right and, you, and yeah. you're not even getting to like you know there are not that like kids in disadvantaged neighborhoods like like the thing that would save them is a is a Broadway musical but they're not even exposed to that art form yeah there are kids who live 15 minutes go. away from it yeah and yes, like, that's exactly for, right forget the other 49 states like there are Kids who live blocks. I mean, and a, a good example is I lived in New York in my 20s and I went to see a show on Broadway three times and I worked in theater <laughs> and yeah, I couldn't afford exactly anything right. else. I saw three, I saw like August Osage County and like two other of like the big ones that eventually like. That's a good one. You saw yeah. a good one. I saw one of my favorite, my, one favorite stage production I've ever seen, except for yeah. the children's version of The Hobbit I saw in Montana. <laughs> Wait, this is actually a fun story because. Uh, me and Justin Tyler, who I think you know, I uh, I love Justin Tyler. He was writing on a show I was hosting. We, you know, and we, so we were living together in Montana for one month for this really what? dumb show. Yeah, we were writing. Uh, I got we got hired. We both got hired on the same show. It was like a <laughs> Santa Claus competition show. It made no sense. It was so bad. But we got to live in Montana for a month, and we were like, we got to see like a local performance of something. That would be such a win. And then in the town of Whitefish, Montana, there's like Whitefish <laughs> Cultural the Center. The story is crazy. Yeah, exactly. It gets crazier. And it's like the White F- Whitefish Theater Company's production of The Hobbit, blah, 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 this, whatever, and with the dates listed. One of the dates was the one of the four days off we had uh, at, while we're there. So we're like, we got to get tickets to The Hobbit. So then we start telling people on set, we're like, oh, yeah, we're actually going to The Hobbit on Saturday. And they're like, what do you mean you're going to The Hobbit? Like, oh, we got tickets to see The Hobbit. It's like a local production. We think it'll be fun. People are like, oh, we'll go. We'll go. So we end up getting like 40 L.A.-based TV workers, like uh, shout out IATSE crew writers at town. Get everyone to go to this show. (laughs) The fucking show starts and it's. 
Unbeknownst to me and Justin, who have sold everyone on going here, we eat edibles. Uh, we buy these giant glasses of wine and we sit down and then a little kid walks out in a Gandalf costume and is like, I'm Gandalf the Grey. And it's in that moment that me and Justin realize we're sitting down for a two and a half hour children's production of The Hobbit. And we at that moment notice why everyone is staring at the 20 people dressed like hipsters without kids, without families, drinking wine, all rowdy, sitting down to watch it. And I was like, and then one hour later, I have tears pouring down my face and I am absolutely moved by this production. The kid who's playing Bilbo is like the most was one of the most charming kids I've ever seen. And like. He had like Woody Allen met Christopher Walken mannerisms and he was like 11. He was like, he literally had wine. He's like, Gandalf, what are we doing? And I was like, I'm obsessed with this production. Afterwards, I was so <laughs> fucked up. I'm shaking like 10 year old kids hands being like, you were fantastic. And like the parents can see that they're like, wait a minute, who are you guys? And we're like, oh, we're shooting a TV show here. And they're like, oh, my God. Now, now they're parents of child actors finding out yeah, there's a yeah, TV yeah. show. It turns, it turns the wrong way all of a sudden. We end up using like 10 kids from the production for like some <laughs> bit where like the uh, they have to rate the what, Santa's. What show is this? What are you talking it, about? It was called Santa's in the Barn, which was practically Santa's America's in, next top Santa's Santa Claus. In the Barn. I know. This is what I'm talking. You know what? Show your daughter one episode of Santa's in the Barn, and she'll do her fucking math homework. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) You'll be like, you want to be, you want to be an actor? This is the kind of shit you sometimes have to do in order to get yourself out of credit card debt. And then watch one episode of me, a hard R-rated comedian in a fucking Christmas sweater, going, "All right, Santa's, whoever can pin the Yule goat on the log will, you know, like it's just the most un." should never have been Santa's made show in the barn. I know the name doesn't even make sense. I'm like, what does that name even mean? They're like, it's the name of the show they bought the rights to. I'm like, well, what's Santa's in the barn? They're like, oh, it's actually a really funny Norwegian show about a fake Santa Claus reality show where Santa Claus hangs himself on the day on the first day oh and they have to deal with it. And I'm like, wait, oh we gosh. we bought the rights to a mockumentary that's better than an action, and then we're doing the fake show that causes someone to kill themselves. Like, you are missing. <laughs> True TV missed like 11 swings on one pitch at this. And it was just like, I made, I made five figures and got the fuck oh. out of there. It was a delight. Oh my God. That's that so be- funny. One of the best live theater performances I've ever had in my entire life though. I will say kids, whenever kids are like really good at something, it automatically makes me cry. And they can be good at anything. The Speaking of uh, Brightman, Brightman was in School of Rock, the musical oh. on Broadway, which I also saw. And in that show, a bunch of kids played the guitar and the drums and whatever. I mean, the that movie. Those kids I pick up the instruments. I'm sobbing, oh. sobbing in the musical. I believe it. I'm, the the movie hits like so hard with that. Great shit, movie. Yeah, yeah. Great, great movie. movie. Great, great musical. Makes t- Very total fun. sense to be an awesome musical. Like that's such a perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, made to be adapted. That and uh, um, what's the South Park musical that I never saw that everyone loved? Uh, Team America, World Police, that one? No, uh, the uh, the Mormon one. Oh, uh, Book, of Book of Mormon. Mormon. Book of Mormon. Yeah. So I never saw Book of Mormon, uh, but Book of Mormon, and I never saw School of Rock on Broadway, and those are the two that reached out to me, me my agents about auditioning and being like, no, 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 I can't sing. They're like, no, it's kind of fun, though, because like the elder Cunningham doesn't have to really sing. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. It's not, I'm not even like being false modest here. <laughs> like, I, I don't have that ability. I've not unlocked that That's also that not skill. true. Like, I know... Uh, 
Elder Cunningham, that the funny character in that does have to like really sing. I, like, I exactly. I, I was like, also, if you have me and John, if you need like a John Gamberling or John Gabris type, John Gamberling has the pipes of a fucking. Right, he angel. can sing. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm not gonna get if if you're. He's not only is that dude funnier than me, he also can <laughs> sing. It's like, well, why would you pick me if that dude exists? So fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but oh, every once in a while, I'll be like, oh, there's like a schlubby musical lead. And it's like, eventually, it's like, uh, the national tour is wondering. It's like, don't, can't sing. I know. I, I know. I have the look. I look perfect for school. I look just like Jack Black. But <laughs> I'm telling you, I profoundly cannot sing. Yeah, like, like uh, it would be so stressful to me that I couldn't even enjoy being on Broadway. So I think that's a bad <laughs> sign. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, man. Well, uh, MCK, as I've uh, taken to calling you in my labeling of all the uh, this audio, I got to say, thank you so much for coming on High and Mighty. And this is you so ju- fun. You just joined the HeadGum family. Uh, I did. With a podcast. I did so why, don't you, why don't you tell my uh, the mouth breathers, the shitheads, a little bit about what you got <laughs> Is that what your on. fans are called? The mouth breathers? Well, no, the they're mouth-, mouth breathers, but they I call them shitheads. Uh, and I don't know why. And uh, I, they seem to. I think it's to help establish the power dynamic early in our parasocial <laughs> relationship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a podcast called A Good Cry. That uh, I don't know when. When does this come out? This episode that we're recording right now. Uh, it's a great question. Uh, probably in mid to late October. So it's probably okay. So uh, when a does your have, show come out? A, a few, we had the first episode already came out, which I'm sure you know. I'm sure you've listened to it over and over and over again. You never stop listening to it. I, I, I might, I might have downloaded it. Uh, that I can give you a promise. As for the listen, we'll see. <laughs> the fir- the first episode uh, came out as of the recording of this just came out last week, and it's uh, me interviewing Stephen Colbert. The second episode is going to be Nicole Byer, who's a headgum mainstay, and the, the oh, podcast yeah. is about grief. It's, uh, I guess, ostensibly a comedy podcast, but it's pretty heavy. Like we get into some deep, some deep dark shit. Um, I have experienced some pretty intense tragedy in my life, and so the guests of the pod also talk about tragedy in their own lives. I mean, and Colbert, Colbert has a pretty famous uh, tragedy, like a pretty pu- publicly yes. known awful tragedy in his life too. Yes, yeah. that's exactly right. And so a lot of people, the idea basically is that a lot of people you know who are funny or whatever have uh, under like endured something really terrible and most people don't ever talk about it. So it's just kind of like destigmatizing that and being like, you know, this happens to all of us. Why are we feeling so isolated when we talk about it when it's really like the only thing that every single person will feel? Like uh, you may you may never have p- a joy in your life. Right. But you will but, for sure feel grief. Yeah, there's no avoiding grief no matter what. And like I I've, I know I I've known you for a while now and you've done some whether you want to call it comedy or not around your grief and i've always found it to be uh eye-opening funny heartwarming so like for me i think this is a great uh, this is a great fit i'm stoked to listen i'm stoked to come on uh funny you talk about destigmatizing talking about grief just a quick aside something i've learned in the last five years of my adulthood is that people don't know how to talk to you about something sad that's happened and that's because People don't talk about sad things that have happened, and that's I'm learning. So that's basically the thesis of the whole podcast. Yeah, and I'm learning, and I, I so I'm letting you know that I love the work you're doing in that uh, field because in that area field makes it sound like we're scientists in that <laughs> in that uh, area because 
I think like after experiencing some pregnancy losses and stuff, and like that's something that no one talks about how easy, how frequently that happens, and how difficult that is, and what that does to mother, father, uh, you know, outlook on life. People don't talk about that. Uh, you know, when someone's parent dies or someone's relative dies, uh, you find weird dynamic shifts in your friendship where you're like, so-and-so never called me or like, because other people can't handle having to to deal deal with it. And I, as someone who is an open book for both for better and for worse, I'm like happy that like that energy is because my wife and I are like that. And like when her dad died, which happened to be a few years after my dad dying. And my dad is the, was a blue collar alpha tough guy, father of three, just like, uh, her dad was and her two younger brothers are my two younger brothers ages. And it was yeah. just like my ability to step in as the son-in-law and be like, here's how this is going to go. And like being able to talk to them. And I'm so frank, as most people know about yes. me, I'm like, I'm just like relatives that you do not give a fuck about are going to hog your time for the next two weeks. Like (laughs) someone's going to, and then people that you want to hear from are not going to know how to talk to you. And, and, and it's not incumbent on you, but it is helpful if you tell them, Hey, I'm like, cause I would just eventually be like, I'm sad that my dad is dead. Like I'm dealing, like you have to just eventually be like, like whatever the, uh, the metaphorical version of it is grab someone's face and go, this is how I feel. React to me about that. <laughs> yeah. Like this is, but, this is happening now. Please acknowledge that it's right? happening. Cause I hear from I think- a lot of, a lot of friends say shit like, yeah, when my dad died, like the, these ex, this friend, that ex, this co- friend, this person's my wife's friend, they like, we never spoke. We never discussed it. It was like always around it. And I was like, Ooh, yeah, we need to fucking, and some people need to go like, I don't want to talk about that. And that's fine. But like, that's I think fine we also, too. yeah, both are okay. But I, more often than not, I think we can stand, shine light on everything, and then we'll eventually dim it if we're like, that's too bright on that awful. That's thing. too bright. Yeah, like, I think that's let's true. not uh, that, shine too much of a light on this. It's starting to upset me. Dim it a little bit, but we, at least we know where it is now. We're all uh, familiar where this pile of grief is. We won't trip on it in the dark anymore because we shined a fucking light on it. And. We don't need to see it over and over again, so we're going to dim the light on it. But we're all in agreement. It's here. We know about it. Let's everybody everybody sees that. It doesn't yeah, exist. Exactly. exactly. That's yeah. over there. Just don't step on it. You know where it is. If you, yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> I think that look, one of the things that you brought up, and I don't want to totally cannibalize the conversation that we will eventually have on my podcast later, but is that idea of like other people don't want to talk about it. Like you find yourself when you are an experiencer of grief having to like look out for other people, having to be like, yes. are you okay? This thing happened to me. I'm telling you about it. Are you okay? You, like, are uh, well, you all right hearing this thing that I'm telling you? Saying that to my brothers-in-law being like, you're going to find yourself comforting so many strangers about your dad's death, something that is affecting you, a 22-year-old man, boy, greatly. Like, it's destroying yeah. you. And then your random second cousin is going to be holding your hand, weeping, saying he was such a good man over and over and over again. And you have to learn, like you have to deal with, and like, you're right. I didn't even think about that. You start to be like, it's okay. Like you find yourself going like, it's no big deal. Like that is yeah. something I say. Cause I'm like, I don't need you to go this hard down it. I, like I'm, I'm trying to, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to breathe here. I don't Would need you, you going this minute? hard. Yeah. <laughs> You're because making me it feel is like bad. Yeah, <laughs> we, we there's a very much like a background music of our own mortality and like you know the 
the piece of paper being crumpled up and never again being being flat again that's always playing and you're always like i just don't want to think about this so you don't and then somebody dies and you're like oh that i forgot that that happens i was pretending that it doesn't right <laughs> uh, anyway Anyway, well, we'll save save the rest of this for a good cry is what it's called, right? That's and right. So, so whatever you're listening to this podcast on, just open that app and add a good cry as a subscription. Get around to listening to it if you're smart, but if not, at least just add it to your subscriptions. And at then least maybe subscribe. Yeah, at least how hard does it cost you anything? Just These do it. You're already in the app. These are fucking gigs, dude. They're half a terabyte. Just deal. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you. Uh, uh, my quick plugs are Action Boys, actionboys.biz, uh, Patreon uh, movie podcast. Uh, the Gino Lombardo Show is coming back to Stitcher Premium. Uh, premieres October 11th, which I guess at this point is after. Uh, it's already out. Use promo code Gino for one free month. If you wait until the end, you can listen to the whole thing in one free month and then cancel it. And then also Spotify Green Room, the app, uh, the, download the app. Meet me there every Monday night at 8 Pacific, 11 Eastern, where I'll be talking over uh, the uh uh, new releases from that weekend. Spotify Green Room. The, the name of the show is called The Movie Buff. All right. Bye, shitheads. That was a headgum podcast. In a part of the world where there are no rules. Holy shit. Holy shit, guys. Holy I'm so pumped. I definitely have not watched this since I rented it on VHS in 92. Strangers united by the threat of death. We got all the fucking major players. Seagal. Vladimir Putin is a good man. Arnold. Here, come. Give it to me. I need you to cream pie me now. Stallone. People are loving this movie. <laughs> it's got a lot of heart. You're mentally irregular. <laughs> now, somewhere... Somehow, body blow, body blow, body someone's gonna pay. I would fucking love for my wife to like see me rip a guy's throat out. But they didn't count on one thing. This movie's fucking insane. <laughs> it's how you know it's a good movie. You have to do almost all the work yourself to figure it out. Oh, there's a fantasy component. Yeah. There's some yeah. sword fighting. There's some lightning. Bam, 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 bam. bam, bam. There's a new game in town. You wake up after a few years, and then you don't even know who you are anymore. We're going to be making Terminators. <laughs> We're going to make a really great deal with the Xenomorphs. What? I don't hate them, but I've been in a room <laughs> Yes, I understand. This is now the 20th ending of the movie. I am dark. I'm your dad. <laughs> Action, boys. Boys will be boys. Subscribe here for bonus content and more free stuff from behind the paywall. To get new episodes, become a patron at actionboys.biz. Do it. Do it. Come on. Do it now. <laughs>